Grab a seat and grab your manual for life. And uh, what book of the Bible are we in? We're in John. What chapter are we in? All right, it kind of everybody's figuring that out. We're in John chapter six. John chapter six. Hey, Harvest, thank you. We love you guys, by the way, a lot, a lot. I would not want to be anywhere else. John chapter six. Hey, before we get started in our text, uh, two items of context I want to lay out. One has to do with food. Yeah. Oh, good. And the other has to do with some setting. Let's talk about the food thing first. Uh, John chapter six has a lot of talking about food. And you've got to understand food in the context of the day. Uh, You and I, when we think of food and where food comes from, we think of the context of this. This is the reality. I mean, it is. When we think of food, where does food come from? It comes from the grocery store. You go to the grocery store, and in our world, in our industrialized world, listen, I am not going to a place where it's like, feel bad about it. I'm just saying, thank God. We are blessed, folks. But this is our context of food and how we picture it, where it comes from. Uh, Our food is grocery market prepared. It's grocery market packaged. Uh, In fact, uh, also along with it... um, Crown Financial, as well as like Dave Ramsey and so forth, says that uh, normally your food budget should be 5 to 15% of your total income. So if it's, let's say 10, 15%, 10% of your income is normally for us what happens. If there's a drought that takes place for us, what ends up happening is we have fewer choices, but we still have choices and we have higher costs. So maybe it becomes 15% as opposed to 10%. And maybe we've got uh, uh, about uh, nine-tenths of that amount of food to choose from, but we still have a lot to choose from. Now, when you go back in Bible times, it was very different. Uh, Food was a choice basically for the typical person between bread and fish. And, uh, you know, we talk about snacks. Back in that day, it's like... (laughs) What kind of an idea is that? Okay, maybe a fig or something like that. But back in the day, food was very different in understanding of how it was viewed. A couple things with that. One, it was grown and raised around you and or by you. So it was a very intimate thing that you were involved with. We don't have that intimacy for the most part with food. Also, food had a heavy price on it. It had a heavy price on it for this reason. Food generally comprised 80% of a person's entire wages. 80% of your wages in the times of the Bible went to getting food. Food cost big. If you don't get this part right here, some of what we're about to hit just won't make quite the reality of sense that it needs to. Food was 80% of your entire budget. On top of that, you knew because you were personally involved with food that food cost. And what I mean by that is something you knew gave up its life for you. Whether it was a fish, whether it was a goat or a sheep, or whether it was a grain of wheat. Something gave itself over for you and to be able to consume it in that day. And you were right there. You knew it. Every meal had a price to it. In Bible times, if there was a drought, it wasn't a matter of fewer choices. It was a matter of a question of very existence with what was going on. Again, don't feel bad about the blessing that God has provided us. 
but if this is to set a context and understanding our text for today. We cannot read through John chapter 6 with a 2011 view of food. You need to, and we will seek to, and I will seek to guide us through seeing this chapter as it unfolds, which is a lot of text to cover. I'll be hitting this on time. Um, you, uh, you have to have a first century AD of food. And here's how we can remember it real simple. Food, or let's say bread. Bread equals life. It's that simple. So food equals what? Life. Bread equals what? Life. Food equals life. Okay? Just keep that in your mind, and we'll keep on moving. Secondly, we need to have an understanding of the setting. Uh, a number of events have, are, are, that have taken place that are not given in the Gospel of John. You've got the crossing of the, Red, or of the Sea of Galilee where the storm comes up in the boat, and there's a, who are you? And Jesus is like, why do you fear? And all, all this kind of stuff that's going on. All that's taking place. But one of the big events I want to let you know is in John chapter 6, the disciples have now been chosen. What I have been calling the pre-disciples are now the capital D disciples. The 12 have been selected. John doesn't go into the details of that because that John's purpose is not to give all of the events. It's not a, a biography of Christ. John is coming at it where it's event by event, more like Mark is telling the events. It's the Indiana Jones gospel of the Bible. John is seeking, John chapter 20, verses 30 to 31, is seeking to show the signs and the wonders and the miracles that Jesus did so that you can know who this guy was. So he's going from these kind of events and the flow of his argument through the text so at this point the 12 are the 12 okay the disciples have been selected some events have happened and we're going to jump into john chapter 6 so john chapter 6 puts us back up north by the sea of galilee we're on the east side of the sea of galilee kind of as you can see on the satellite map here here we go jumping into verse 1 and let me pray god as we dig into your word I pray that it would stand out bold. The words that are about to be proclaimed, the actions that are about to be done by you, oh God, may it set us back in awe of you. This is not about me. This is about you. And may your word be bold and bright to us this morning. In Christ's name we pray, amen. John chapter 6, verse 1. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Uh, back in that day, kind of on the southwest coast of the Sea of Galilee, there was a city called Tiberias. Uh, in the day, as things were moving along, that name kind of shifted to the Sea of Galilee. It's really a giant lake. Um, and uh, so, so that's why John's bringing this in. So it's also the Sea of Tiberias. That's another terminology that was used in that day. Verse 2, and a what kind of a crowd? A large, a great crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Uh, Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. And now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Uh, verse 2, the crowd is in essence following uh, the magic elixir man. That's for the most part what's really taking place here. They're not following him as the John 1 word, as the son of God, as the Messiah that has come, the Christ. Uh, they're not getting it yet. You know, kind of picture in your mind, you know, sometimes we see these pictures of like whales swimming in the ocean and there's all these little fish 
that are like behind it. That's what a lot of these people are. Because what the whale is doing is all all the things, all the benefits that are coming off of the whale, the little fish are grabbing it, making their life so easy and so comfortable. They don't love that whale. They love what the whale does for them. It makes their life that much simpler. Verse 4, Passover is near. This is the second time we see the Passover mentioned. Passover celebrates the Hebrews leaving Egypt, the Exodus, if you're not that familiar with the Bible yet. And I just want to put this out on the table. We're talking about food. Food equals what? And remember back after the Exodus, oh yeah, let's see, they wanted something, something every day. What was that? Manna. Manna comes down every day and they make... Bamana bread and the, you know the various things with it and so forth okay and so with it so manna is coming down uh just keep that in mind but at the passover time remember this the only thing and it really isn't even that all that close nowadays but july 4th was you know sometimes you get more patriotic back at the passover i'm going to tell you it was deep and there was an intense patriotic uh, uh just fire and fervor within people at that time And that's, I think, why John is bringing this to bear. Uh, Let's keep looking. Verse 5, lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, uh, by the way, Philip was the right guy to ask this question. The question is, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Because Philip was grown in the nearby town of Bethsaida. So he was a good guy to be asking this. He's one of the 12. Verse 6, he said this to test him, for he himself, Jesus, knew what he was already going to do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii. 200 denarii is about 80, I'm sorry, eight months of a person's wages. 200 denarii. Uh, would not even buy enough food for uh, each of them to get a little bit. I mean, they're not even going to get a nugget with that. Uh, Verse 8, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, "Uh, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Uh, Jesus sitting on the side, uh, on the mountain, verse 5, he sees this large crowd coming. Can you just imagine the scene? Imagine the scene. Because we're going to learn here in just a minute that there's like some 20,000 people because there's 5,000 men. Uh, uh, That's a crowd. Can we agree on that? That's a crowd. And there you are with your guys on the hill. And it's like, it's just the dust is coming up behind them. And they're walking over and 20,000 people are coming. Now, Mark 6 does add this. And Mark 6 uh, says, Jesus saw them. I love this. It says he had compassion on them. Why? Because they're hungry? No. He had compassion on them because they're sheep without a shepherd. Uh, 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 some of you know much better than I do. We have a little experience with it, but sheep without a shepherd are the scared thing. Nose in the corner. Scared to death. And he's looking and he has compassion on him. Mark 6 tells us a little bit more. The disciples see them and we'll kind of see this. They're more like, can, uh, Jesus, how about you send them away so they can buy food? Uh, send them away. And Jesus has compassion on them. What a great God. It's just really special. Mark 6 also tells us that Jesus tells them, you give them something to eat. This is such leadership development. We call discipling. Jesus is using this opportunity to help his men grow in their, in their walk with Christ, in their understanding. Verse 6, Jesus already has a plan, but he uses the opportunity to test Philip. Listen, Jesus is not just about accomplishing a task. 
Jesus is always about life has, is an opportunity to grow people, to disciple people. I mean, if he wanted to do the magic elixir thing, he could just go poof. But that's not what this is about. And we'll see this continuing on in the story. So verse 7, Philip has tossed the ball. He swings the bat and upstrike. You know, 200 denarii, eight, eight months wages. This is an insurmountable problem. That's the point. And I'm going to tell you, I would be saying the same thing. I mean, what, we have maybe 170 or so in here. Uh, and it's like, if all of a sudden we had to feed you right now, that's insurmountable to me right at the moment. And the point of this is the fact that these guys are looking at this, rightly so, seeing this insurmountable problem. Verses 8 and 9, uh, Andrew, it must have been there to hear it because he kind of picks up the bat and he talks about how there's this boy here. By the way, the, the Greek term for the boy there, I'm not so sure this was like about a seven or eight-year-old boy that is so often pictured in things. Uh, it can actually come into a young man or a young servant. I mean, this could be an early teen uh, with that, but that's not important. But there's this boy, and no, it is five barley loaves. Uh, barley loaves were the, were the bread of the poor. Okay, so this was not a rich servant kid who's coming along. Two fish, they're probably pickled fish type of a thing, but the point is a big crowd. Let's go to verse 10. Jesus said, have the people sit down. In Mark, it tells us that he told them to have them sit down in groups of 50 and 100. Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So this is about March, April, right before Passover. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. That's a lot of people. Can we agree? 5,000 plus wives plus kids. So let's just say this is the feeding of the 20,000. Verse 11. Jesus then took the loaves. When he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. I just wondered, the giving thanks part, was that quiet? Was that just like, did he bow his head? Did he pray? Did he just stand and pray to the Father? Was, was that what's going on? Or did he pray so maybe the, the disciples could hear or a few people around? Or did he do the prayer of, Lord God, we thank you for, for the whole crowd to hear? I don't know. But it is interesting that it includes here this comment about what's taking place. Regardless, out of last week, chapter 5, this is about glorifying the Father. They distributed them. Imagine that event. How did that happen? How did that happen? Uh, many of you know me well enough that uh, this, this one, I could just go on for a while. I'm so intrigued. I want to be there because I can tell you what I'd be doing. How do you take uh, a, a little bit of bread and a little bit of fish and 12 guys and distribute that? Does he take it and break it in half? And does he like rip the fish up and give them it half? And then you've got the buckets and then you turn around it's like, I mean, this is an incredible training moment for these 12. Do not lose sight of the story of the opportunity that these disciples are getting face-to-face -face with real life. And then when you go around in your hand and you've got half a loaf, I mean, where did, did the basket, did they have a basket and like drop the dink, you know, half a slice of French bread in there kind of a thing, and then like the tail of a fish, and then they reached out and said, you want some? And they're like, I got to tell you, is that not a freaky moment? I mean, if you're one of the disciples, what are you thinking in that process? This is a massive, blow-my-mind God, big God moment. And so then they're going, and I would be like, after it's like, dude, this is so cool. 
I would be like, stand there. I'm reaching in and I'm taking my eye off the basket. You take it because I want to watch. Boom. It's like, did you see that? I, I mean, that would be the kind of thing. But I don't, don't lose the fact of the immense. These guys are going around feeding 20,000 people. I don't know how that take a half an hour to take an hour. It took some time. And they're like, this is awesome. And the people are seeing this. Now, how much they all really knew what was going on. But this is like a cool, cool God moment. Where are we at? Verse 12. And when they had eaten their fill, by the way, do you see right before the end of verse 11? As much as they wanted. It's not like, here's two nuggets for your family. Could I have some more? Absolutely. Let me reach in my basket. (laughs) Kind of thing. Verse 12. And they had eaten their fill. He told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. By the way, that was a tradition of, of after every meal, the Jews would do that. Whatever was left over, they would gather it together. So they gathered them up, filled 12 baskets with fragments of the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. This is so cool. 12 baskets. Why 12? Why not 10? Why not 11? Why not 13? I was going to say this. You know what? I don't know. The text doesn't tell us. And this is where I want to be careful in the study of Scripture that we don't start going and say, I know there's other 12 kind of things in the Bible, so let's automatically associate it with that. Uh, Be careful. But I do just want to say it this way. Isn't it interesting? There's 12 baskets. I wonder if each of those guys had one in their hand. Maybe that was why it was four. Maybe this was for so the reason that God can be able to picture before the people, listen, I can fully supply all the needs of the 12 tribes. I don't know, but we know this. There were 12 baskets full, and there weren't 12 baskets in the beginning. That's the point. This is a big God, big Savior thing. Verse 14, when the people saw the sign, I like that. They saw it, not heard about it, but saw it, that he, what he had done. They said, this is indeed a prophet, the prophet who has come into the world. Now, let me clarify. This comes out of Deuteronomy 18. We've talked about this a little bit so far out of Deuteronomy 18, where Moses says, the Lord will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you. Now, Moses was viewed in turn by many in that day as kind of the first Messiah or the first Redeemer. They were waiting for the next Redeemer, not one in a series, but the big Redeemer. And so in this, they're coming and seeing him as, is this the one that Moses was talking about? But the question is, is how are they really seeing this figure to be? Verse 15, I think this tells us. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force, Jesus by force, to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. What did they want? They wanted to make him king. I don't want to be too hard on these guys, but honestly, I think this is a great part of what's taking place as we've seen before and as we see here in the rest of the chapter. I think what's really happening here is they want to take him by force by king because he is going to feed us and take care of us. Think of it. If 80% of your income went to food and some magic elixir man can remove that 80%, I'm telling you, it's time to go out and get a bigger TV and a satellite and you know what, whatever you want. You now have 80% of your income free to be able to do what you want. 
I want that guy king myself. So they want him to be king. I think this is just a mass lack of understanding on who Jesus was. This is really a a selfish politics. And I think Jesus knows it, so he withdraws. In other words, chapter 5, this is not the father-son plan. It's not the time right now. I just want to pause here. Consider kind of a big picture. Life is moving along and all of a sudden this situation comes about. And I think that uh, we tend to view life in kind of little bits of segmented, disconnected, McNugget events. This event, and then I'm dealing with this right now at work, I'm dealing with this right now at home, and we kind of just segment life into these categories. That's so American of us in our Western thinking. Stuff happens, events occur, and we just go on. But not Christ. All of life was about one thing. As we've termed it so far in prior Sunday, it's all about the eternal. Everything is viewed in light of that. And we could spend our whole morning on this story, but I think these three are connected here, and I've got to keep moving along. But I just want to say this. Um, For Christ, events and circumstances are always connected together, moving towards the eternal. I'll put it this way. Life is an ongoing series of God opportunities. Life is an ongoing series of God opportunities. And I've just got three things here I think we can see even from this story so far. It's one, it's it's an opportunity to love people. Jesus had compassion. They're like sheep without a shepherd. All of life opportunities are an opportunity to love people. Yeah, but they're really hard to love. Yeah, them too. Can I say this? These are really hard people to love. Because they're just after, they're the little fish. Just taking all the little nuggets off of the blessing. Uh, Secondly, to grow as a disciple. All of life opportunities are an opportunity to grow as as a disciple. This is an opportunity for these disciples to be able to literally experience the power of Christ in their life for real. And Jesus knows that. Hey, you feed them. You imagine that moment? You feed them. And then he just stands back and waits. It's all about training people, helping people to advance. All of life situations. Do you have a hard situation going on in your life right now? Hear me. It's a God opportunity for you to grow as a disciple of Christ. The third thing is just to display Christ. All of life is consumed with just opportunities to display Christ. Notice there was no debate here. There's no altar call here. There's no marketing spiritual Christian church plan here. It's just love and take it to the eternal. That's what's happening here. Well, let's keep going. Verse 16, when evening came, what time of the day? His disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. And when they had uh, towed out about three or four, how far? Miles. Miles, 
they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. (laughs) But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. By the way, Mark chapter 4, the crossing of the Sea of Galilee, the storm comes up, has already happened. I'm telling you, Christ used the Sea of Galilee all the time with these guys. Verse 21, then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was, yes, I was wondering if that was going to happen. If you were around, when we went through the gospel of Mark, the gospel of Mark has the word immediately all the time. And we did, when we said immediately, what did we do? Just to hit it because Mark again and again wants us to know that. And here it's immediately, there they are on the other side. Let's, let's take a, consider this for a moment here. Uh, Jesus sends the disciples to Capernaum by boat. It's dark and the sea is rough. So let's go to the next slide. It's darkish and the sea is rough. Okay, and uh, the lake gets rough. Uh, The Sea of Galilee is like 600 feet below sea level. It was common in the day for kind of the cooler air to come from the southeastern portion, connect with the warm air. And just Sea of Galilee had these squalls all all the time, these weather situations like this. So there they are. They go out about three, four miles. And then Jesus walks about three, four miles on the water. Okay, now the guy who's really interested in what's happening inside the basket as they're handing out the food, I am so intrigued by this. Because how do you walk on water? I mean, if it's, if it's, it's a stormish, did it have like a flat row of water? That, and everything's around, I'm serious on this, that's going around with this? Or was it in the process, he's like up on the wave and then it's down and then he's up? I, can you just, and he's walking. This isn't like a hundred yards. This is how far? Who does that? (laughs) And then they're frightened. Yeah. So, yeah. By the way, there's some uh, liberal theologians who are saying that, you know, he was actually on the shore and they saw him on the shore. I'm like, oh, come on. Wow, what a bunch of weenies. I'm frightened someone's on the shore. Okay, so that's not what's happening here. And so there they are, they're in it. And they see it. And this is where Peter walks on the water, so forth. But John doesn't bring that in. So I'm not going to go there on it here. But here's the point. He walked on the water. And he gets in the boat. And they're happy to have him in the boat. He would be a guy I'd want in my boat in that situation. And then the Star Trek moment. He gets in the boat. And bam! They're on the other side. Sometimes we, we don't even think about that moment. I mean, you're there in the boat. <laughs> he's in and it's like, this is cool. He's in. And all of a sudden you look up and it's like, poof, we hit the shore. Whoa. Whoa. What just happened? This is a fringe moment. No, I don't have the music. Okay. Here's what I want to bring this part to. You're one of the disciples. What are you thinking that night in bed at Capernaum? Because understand this, Chris, let's go to the next one. You're thinking back earlier in the day to the feeding of the 20,000. And then that night you saw this guy walking on water and then getting in the boat and kawam, you're on the other side. 
and you're in bed, come on, you cannot tell me that these guys are not laying in bed that night, running back through this, through their head. Can we all agree this was one crazy wild day? Don't lose sight of how the the events that Christ is doing, how it's just drilling down into these guys' very soul. Who is this guy? Who is this guy? Who is this guy? Let me ask you to consider. Seriously, who, who do you think he is? Was, was he the magic elixir man? Was he just a prophet? Was he just a, a religious eccentric that kind of got a little bit overboard in his religion? Some would say that. That's baloney. John chapter 20, verse 31. But these were written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, and that by believing you may have eternal life. That's why John is recording these. John continues his argument. What a night in bed. Well, let's finish with some talking that happened. Verse 22, on what day? The next day. The next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea, remember the crossing over, the disciples got in. These guys were still on the east side of the ocean. They're now over in Capernaum on the west side and that they had been uh, only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with the disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias, the city on the west side, had come near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. Now, this likely was not all 20,000, but it was still a crowd. Uh, Verse 25, when they found him on the other side of the sea, what city were they in now? Capernaum. They said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs. I'm sorry. Yeah, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man, hmm, that's interesting, the Son of Man will give to you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. Now, let's talk a little bit about this. Uh, I'm going to call this the food crowd. The food crowd has come. Uh, The text tells us that Jesus uh, takes it there. We can see it in verses 26 and 27. They're about the food. Uh, The food crowd is from the 20,000 fed the day before uh, who, remember, wanted to make him king. Now, consider Capernaum. I want to bring a couple pictures up here. Uh, Here is Capernaum as it is actually nowadays. This is so cool for Karen and I because we've literally, we were right there. This is the Sea of Galilee. This is facing east. So across there is where they would have come into Capernaum. They would have come up on the shore, be in this city. You can see some of the ruins here. You see how tight everything is 
I mean, this, these, these bricks here, these are literally little homes and kind of like an alleyway and little home. This is how people lived all together in this city. And this was a substantial city, if you will, in the day. You can also see over here, this is the synagogue. Actually, the picture up top is over here, right over on the left. This, this was rebuilt. This is, I think this was redone in like 4th century AD. So this is not the original synagogue, but it's on the original site where the synagogue in Capernaum was at. So this is where they're at. Now, this city uh, at that time would have had a population somewhere, anywhere between 1,000 to 2,000 people. Let's say it's 1,500 people. Now, let's consider this for a minute. There's a crowd over on the other side. He feeds them, and, and a portion of the crowd comes across. How many? Don't know. Text doesn't tell us. But, but let's just consider this for a point. 50%? Okay, so 10,000. Oh, maybe that's too many. Well, let's, let's go 10%. So how many would 10% be? 2,000. Let's just, I'll tell you what, let's just go 5%. I would, wouldn't you think at least 5% of the crowd would be coming? Probably. Let's just, in fact, I think it's higher than that, but let's just play lowballing. So about how many people are coming from the other side? About 1,000 people. What's the population of Capernaum? About 1,500-ish. So the city has just doubled in size. The reason I'm bringing this to bear is, can you imagine the impact in that city right there that's going on when we're about to, when Jesus is talking right now? There's a massive hubbub going on. And these people want to make him king. The city doubles in size. Overnight, all these people are there. And it's not like they're spread around to the campsite. Okay? They're like all hovered over this little area that's there. Jesus, in verse 27, (laughs) kind of term it this way. Uh, You want me because I can do the crazy and give you food. You want me because I can make your life comfortable. Pause. A lot has not changed. Okay? I don't want to be too hard on these folks. Because the reality is that sometimes I think this way. And this is such a, a gospel prosperity mindset garbage that we have today out there. We can go here real easily. Jesus just solves all my problems. Jesus is here and he's saying, don't be about the temporary, be about the eternal. And I, on whom the Father has set the seal, I can give you the eternal. Can you imagine that? That is just a crazy, amazing, awesome statement. Yet look at what the crowd is stuck on. Verse 28. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? If you look in the text, uh, Jesus used the word labor or works. Now, what does a works-oriented people going to click themselves to? The works. So Jesus says, listen, if you labor for this, and they're like, labor, I'm all about doing the works. So tell me what we got to do. It's kind of like, so if I do the right ditty, then I'm going to get the right ditty blessings. Tell me what the ditty is. Things haven't changed. God, just tell me what to do and I'll do it because I want all that you can give me. That's so the the, the mindset we have. And if I don't do that, then I'm only going to get like 90% of the goodness of God. But if I do more, I'm going to get more of the goodness of God. Listen, friends, that is so not what grace is. 
We are so undeserving. And yet God's grace is 100% fully on himself. You can't earn any more, make any more, bring it on anymore. It's fully there. The question is, is am I going to put myself at a place where I want to submit to God, the Father, the Son, the Spirit, they're working in my life to be able to bring them glory and that whatever God wants to do, God could do. And if God wants to bring blessing, fantastic. We're going to be talking about things with facility down the road. How could God do, how could we do this? I don't know, but you know what? I do know the resource. And God wants to work through us, doesn't he? And that's okay. But we don't do it so we can have our own little cute little ditty benefits. Verse 29. Jesus answered them, this is the work of God. I love this. You want to talk works? I can talk works. Dudes, you can't do no works. God does the work. Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who has sent me. What's your work? Believe in him. That's it. Period. And that's not even a work of you. Here we go. I'm going to have some fun talk here in just a minute. We're going to the cool theology. Verse 30. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Are you kidding me? Hey, I want to tell you, they're thinking back to the Exodus and Moses and the first redeemer, okay? And they're thinking, listen, Moses brought manna. No, Moses didn't, by the way. God did. And Moses brought it every day. So how about today? Because right now, I'm kind of hungry. And here they come. I'm telling you, they're just not in this game, in the right mindset. Verse 31, our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, and he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I'm going to fry you now. (laughs) Here we go. Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father. Chapter 5 just makes that father thing so much more alive. But my father gives you the true bread from heaven. By the way, bread is what? For the bread of God is he. Ah, a person. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. In fact, let's read that all together. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me. By the way, notice whoever that's an open invitation, it sounds like to me. Whoever comes to me shall not hungry, hunger. And whoever, open, believes in me shall never thirst. But I say to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come true. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Isn't that cool? For I have come down from heaven. Uh, not to do my own will, this is chapter 5, but him who of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. 
Oh, that's so much like when we were talking earlier, John, in the, in the Old Testament and the pole and the snake thing and raising the pole and everybody looks up to it. Whoever looks to the sun and I will raise him up on the last day. Verse 41, so the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that comes down from heaven. They said, is this not the guy who grew up, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? I mean, we went to high school together. How does he know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? I can understand that. Jesus answered, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. (laughs) And I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets. And and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes, that sounds pretty wide open, doesn't it? Has eternal life. I am the bread of life. In case you missed that from the very beginning part of the paragraph kind of conversation. Your fathers ate the man in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. He says, this is like he's just repeating himself. I'm saying the same thing, but just helping you guys understand it, you know, in the process of it. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. <laughs> okay. Here they are. They're offended by his claim. And look at verse 44. No one can come to the Father. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. I do want to take a moment here. So is there free will? Or are we predestined? I can't go over a verse like this and not ask the question. And I'm sure you are too. Uh, Let me just comment on this for a minute. We can get a tither about this topic, but I'm just going to tell you, you know what? The, the writer John has no problem with it. I'll also say Jesus has no problem with this topic. John 1, 12 says, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him. And yet John six forty four says, the father draws. fact the scripture teaches that god draws people the scripture teaches that god chooses the scripture teaches that god elects having a hard time with that but that's what the scripture teaches fact number two the scripture teaches that whosoever believes in him will have eternal life Scripture teaches that you make a decision. So what do you think, dog? It's both. It's both. I was going to tell you, if, if you don't have an understanding of total depravity of man, Romans chapter you know, 1 and following, if, if you don't see Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 3 and understanding total depravity, you're going to have a hard time understanding the fact that you cannot choose God on your own. 
You are so depraved, and I am so depraved because of my sin. I would never make that choice. But God in the process draws me. So what's the chicken before the egg? Hey, how about this? They both fit together, and God knows exactly how it works, and he's all good about it. And so I'm good about it. And just think of this argument. There I am standing before God. I always take my theology arguments uh, before the throne. (laughs) Here I am standing before the throne. Hey, God, I chose you. Dude. Doug, on your face. I'm just going to tell you, that that just will not go. But yet in the process, how about this? God, you gave me no choice. What? Or how about this? God, you never gave Billy Bob a choice. In fact, you chose him as a result of this. You chose him to hell. Think about that discussion right before God and what has just been said. I'm just going to tell you that conversation is going to be like ending right there. Okay? So I just want to say in all this, how does this all work? Guess what? God elects and we choose. From God's perspective, he chooses all who come to him. From our perspective, we choose him. When I was seven years old, I came to a point where I received Jesus Christ as my savior. I chose God. (laughs) But guess what? From God's perspective, God's like, Doug, don't get so hot on yourself. Have a fun, fun lunch discussion. Okay, I'm uh, I'm over here. Fifty-two, and let's read to the end. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, "How can this man give us his flesh to eat?" So Jesus said to them, "Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh, this is getting really physical now." Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, sounds gross, and drink his blood, sounds grosser. You have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. This is not talking about the Lord's Supper. This is not talking about the Eucharist. And I will raise him up on the last day, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks on my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father... Uh, So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not as the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Everybody's hearing this, verse 60. When many of the disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? By the way, the disciples are not only the 12, but other kind of follower disciples. Uh, Verse 61, but Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples are grumbling about this, said to him, do you take offense at this? And then if, uh, then what if you were to see the son of man ascending to where he was before? It is the spirit who gives life. There we have a full Trinitarian reality coming, John. We've talked about the son, we've talked about the father, we have the spirit. The flesh is of no avail. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe, parenthetically, for Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who did not, and, and who it was who was going to betray him. Can you imagine knowing that and still loving people? Verse 65, and he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the father. In case we didn't like 44, he repeats it. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Do you see that? So Jesus said to the 12, Hey guys, 
do you want to go away as well? Boom. Simon Peter answered him, way to go, buddy, stepping up to the plate. Lord, to whom shall we go? (laughs) You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And Jesus answered him, did I not choose you, the (laughs) twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. You spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Wow. Well, we got to wrap it. Massive text. I'm sorry for flying through so much today. So how do you leave this? Um, Do you know the bread of life? Do you know the bread of life? I don't mean talking about some distant cognitive knowledge of, do you know the bread of life? Food has to give itself up for you. Jesus is the food that gave himself up for you. We put it this way. Have you consumed him? Have you taken him in? If not, would love to talk with you. For everyone else, I want to hopefully out of all this, just Christ seems bigger to you. I would also add to this, as we think about this next week coming, do you want to follow? If Christ is your bread of life, I'm not talking about losing salvation kind of stuff, but I'm just saying this week, is this week going to be about, you know what? I say he's the bread of my life. Am I going to live like he's the bread of my life? Who am I going to choose this week to follow? God, I want to thank you for the time together and time in your word Uh, There's so many things in this giant chapter and, wow, taking the whole big pile in one time together. So many things we could savor. But a reason for taking all this, Lord, is because there's just this tie, this all the way from feeding of the 5,000 to coming over to Capernaum to have the discussion about bread with the people who ate the bread the day before. And yet these are people who are right there. They're there in the presence of hearing the truth, and yet they're not getting it. Lord, I pray that we would be a people that has not just come together and hear the truth of the word of God and then go away and just kind of, do our own ditty. God, I even pray this week that this would be a week where you, the bread of life, bread is life, where you being our life, that that would show itself this week at work, at home. All of life is about the eternal. And you are the bread that gives eternal life. May we be all about you this week. Thank you for being so immensely patient with me, with us. Help us to see you bigger. In the beautiful name of Christ we pray.